You're listening to a Monkey Buns production. Hello, I'm Alfie Evers. Uh, yes, you may recognise me as an all-round great guy. You may also uh, recognise me as a guy who brings the Ultimate Fancy podcast. I now bring to you Desert Island Goals. Every episode, each guest shortlists their three favourite goals they would like to take with them. Should they be cast away on a desert island? <laughs> Sound familiar? No, it's completely and utterly unique idea. So I do hope you enjoy and I hope it alleviates some boredom. Our guest on this episode is a man whose identity must be kept anonymous. Hailing from the north, the secret journalist is a man who works behind the scenes of football, reporting on games, players and the much-coveted gossip pages. (laughs) An avid and pained lifelong Leeds supporter, the secret journalist now resides in Leeds, has a human fiancé, two cats and a brand new car. Hi, (laughs) Phil. We can call you Phil, can't we? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Hello, Alfie. How are you? I'm good. Uh, let's talk about the brand new car. How's that going for you? <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, it's not brand new. I got it. Uh, I bought it off my dad, and so the, 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 there has been a previous owner of it. Um, but it, but it's a, a huge upgrade on my, my previous one. I mean, I, the thing is, I don't know when I'll actually be able to drive it again, <laughs> <laughs> which is because we're all on lockdown. So it's, it's currently sat in the driveway doing very little really at the moment so yeah i'm not i can't i can't really pay testimony to how how good it runs or anything like that because it's just sat there doing now have you watched it a few times no 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 i um oh, what do you think i'm, I'm, I'm my, my dad very much uh valeted and uh cleaned the car before i gave it before i bought it, off it. <laughs> so I, in, I insisted i insisted that he cleaned it <laughs> that's it now it's done for the year Never, never That's six it, yeah, months. Yeah, just, just yeah, exactly. So you're at home at the moment, obviously with lockdown, uh, being a football mm. journalist. Yeah. Um, you're working from home, but I mean, what is there to work on at the moment? Well, I mean, I, I'm I'm fortunate in that I I work for um, a, a quite large and reputable um, <laughs> sports journalism company. Other sports journalism um, companies are yeah, available. Organisation, and so I, in some respects, it, we we're not going anywhere. So there is still content that needs to be produced, and and uh, you know we we have a we're a literally a captive audience now, ready for uh, to read some of the stuff that that we kind of produce. Um, it's it's not as busy as it as it was inevitably because we we do live sport when when live sport is on and that takes up an awful lot of the of the sort of calendar in terms of week by week. Um, but you know we're we're doing nostalgia based stuff now. We're um, we're doing sort of look backs and rewinds <laughs> and all these kind of things that that inevitably crop up every now and again, but are increasingly cough. I mean, I I did a piece the other day which is about which is like a statty based piece about. Uh, these sort of um, iconic football 11s that don't actually play together very often so no. i did i did a piece on that it's bits, bits of quality like that bits of content like that i should say that that people kind of are probably more interested in reading than just the the relentless doom and gloom about the world ending well i was, was going to say how it'd be quite harrowing just to go onto the website and there'd just be no updates at all, just news from like four weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Check back in when this is all blown up. Yeah, exactly. So no, nice. I think the, the thing is, is that 
in in some ways, you know, kind of if you're a to sports fans, we're all we we're as if we're more important now than than some respects we we were prior to all this happening because people miss football. If you're a football fan, mm. you know, part of what we're doing here is is because people miss football when it's not about and you know you you you, you mythologize football and and you think back about it and and obsess about it and I think when when there isn't any actual football to watch people are required to sort of delve back into the archives of the memory and and archives of, of what they remember about football to to get just a just another taste of it and I suppose to some extent that's the kind of content that we need to produce you know to remind people that you know, there are some good, positive things in the world. Now, look, I'm not saying it, there is in, in no way is what I do for a living important. It's not. And, and football yeah. journalism is not important, I, nor, nor is football really in the grand scheme of things. But on the, but yet in the same breath, it kind of is important because it reminds people of the normality of the world and it reminds people of, of kind of things that you can take pleasure in. And I, and I think that when times are hard and it's dark, I think you need to be reminded that there are things that can make you happy as well. Mm, the UK with no football and no pubs. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, it's a perfect storm. It is, isn't it? Um, did you used to play football way back when? I did when I was a kid, I'd, and not not to any particular you know high level. I'd like a local a local club team. I'm, I'm from Pudsey, um, just on the outskirts of Leeds, mm. and I played for like a local team in Pudsey. Um, up until I don't know, maybe maybe fourteen or fifteen. Um, I always played more cricket than I did um, right. football. That cr- cricket was my like kind of sport of choice because um, I grew up on the on the other side of a wall of a cricket field, and so I just grew, <laughs> grew up playing cricket. Really, it's lucky um, you didn't uh, grow up near a, a lap dance place, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who knows what what career I might have fallen into if that had been the case. Uh, right, let's move on to your goals. And that's why we're all here. Desert Island goals. As we know, it's um completely unique format, not ripped off of anything at all whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the idea is that we're going to go through, if you were to be cast adrift on a desert island, which goals you'd be like to be left with, mm. if that would be possible. So goal number one. Now, Phil, it's the 23rd of September, 1995. Yeah. Boxer Frank Bruno is a WBO heavyweight champion of the world. In four days' time, the BBC will begin digital audio broadcasting. And in the 44th minute of the Premier League fixture against Wimbledon, Leeds United Guardian striker Tony Yeboah is about to do this. Typical of Wimbledon to suddenly remind you that they're not out of the game yet, which seemed likely when Yeboah here scored the second. Oh, look at that. Oh! What a goal then, Phil. That is, of course, uh, which goal is that? That is um, Tony Yeboah um, scoring Leeds United's third goal. I think it was his second mm. of the afternoon um, against Wimbledon in 1995 at Sellers Park, it was. Uh, thunder bastard, to say the least. Uh, tell me about the game. Um, well, I, I think what I need to say, first and foremost, before you kind of preempt this, is that I'm... I should say that if you don't like Leeds United, then you might not want to listen to this <laughs> because uh, because I'm I'm going to be waxing lyrical a lot about Leeds United during this podcast. I would think because my kind of relationship with football it's weird because I, I I like football. Obviously, I do. I, I owe I owe a huge amount of my career to it, and I, and I spent you know so much of my life growing up watching and listening to it and, and sort of playing and absorbing football and things like that. But I, I think if I'm honest. 
and particularly since I've been growing up and kind of getting more to grips with my relationship with football is basically football to me is Leeds United. Mm. But if it wasn't for Leeds, I wouldn't really care that much about football. I think it's because that's my kind of my sort of emotional gateway into football is Leeds United. And so uh, when we talk about goals like we're going to do with this, it, it, I can't. I can't separate out that idea of caring about a goal and like having a goal that I would take to a desert island if it wasn't something that I was sort of emotionally invested in to some extent. Mm. And that's where this comes in, really. Yeboah's goal. Because this was right in the... This is the sweet spot of my sort of youthful following football and being kind of slightly unhealthily emotionally invested in football. It's the right level is, of naivety at that age. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Plus also, it comes it comes in a time, I think, as well, before before not only the cynicism of age but the cynicism that comes with the way that modern football's gone mm. like we this is still relatively early years of the premier league we're talking what is it like the fourth or fifth season of the premier league i think it is at this point for 95 95 96 so it'd be like the yeah the 1993 was the yeah. first premier league so, wasn't so it, we're, yeah. we're really early days in terms of the premier league and so that that idea of the sort of money and and the kind of the negative aspects of football that have come in since then haven't really kicked in properly. There's still an element of what well, football's football. It's still that kind of you do it because it's a love of the game and, mm. and all that kind of aspects of it that was still around in in the sort of from eighties prior to prior to that. Um, and Yeboa came along as this. He was and again this this feeds into like with the idea of the Premier League being a fresh thing. We haven't we haven't got football on like 24 <laughs> 7 like it is now it's not on every week and so there was still that kind of possibility that players would come along to your club and you wouldn't have a clue who they were and you wouldn't have a clue what they were like they were just this exotic mysterious figure that's come from abroad and he this could be the new maradona that's just signed <laughs> for your club this could be the greatest football that's ever played and more often than not they turn out to be bloody awful like Leeds have had plenty of them. They turn up, mate, you think, oh, Frank Strandley. Oh, he sounds like he might be quite good. <laughs> no, no, he's not. Uh, and oh, like, there's just so many of them roll through. And then occasionally, though, just ever so often, someone comes through and he is an absolute world beater and he's everything that you hoped he was going to be. And Tony Yeboah was that and more. He'll have another contender for goal of the season. That is without question. Look at that. Left foot off the thigh, right foot. I don't know which Wimbledon player it gets on there, but like I think Masinga's involved in it and he's nodding it forward and maybe Brian Dean's in the mix of it, I don't know. But then eventually it, it comes to to Kenny Cunningham who kind of puts a sort of half-cleared header away and it falls maybe about, is it about 40 yards maybe from mm. goal and it drops to your bower and it, it takes it down on his chest to start with. Before the ball hits the ground, he uses he controls it with his left knee, and then there's two Wimbledon defenders in front of him. He's driving straight at goal from this point onwards. There's two Wimbledon defenders in front of him, and he, he kind of turns inside with his left foot with one, and then whether it's fortuitous or, or not, or whether it's a, a genuine touch of the most sublime cushion skill you can imagine, he kind of knocks it with his right I think it's his knee, it's his knee. into into his path. And now like I, I don't care whether it's fortuitous or not. I, it just it the way it looks, the, the aesthetics well, of he's it running in that direction. Perfect. Yeah. And it's so that he turns inside and then pokes it just in front of him. But it's it's the absolute perfect <laughs> amount of touch to just set the ball up in front of him 
to hit it, like without breaking stride, just to absolutely hit it. And the ball leaves his foot like a, like an asteroid. It's sort of rising and never <laughs> stops rising. It's still going now, um, I hear. Yeah, yeah. So it, it would, it, what, but for the net, it would have just gone. Uh, and it and it kind of hits the. Um, this is the this this is the thing that makes it. I think for me, because any any sort of thunder bastard, which I think this is a fair a fair way of describing it, it is a thunder bastard. Any goal that 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 is going to fit into that criteria has to hit the underside of the bar before it goes in. And so he hits this and it's rising and it's past Paul Heald who sort of attempts a dive, but he's never going to get anywhere near it. It's going top corner, it hits the underside of the bar, bounces down and then hits the underside of the bar again <laughs> on its way back up. Such is the power, such is the kind of thunder bastardy of the, of the shot that it hits the underside of the bar once, bounces back up, hits the underside of the bar again and goes in. And then all you know the kind of everyone just erupts, and you can see in and like granted, I know that like Leeds Leeds fans Leeds take a lot of fans around the place, and, and there is always a lot of whenever you go away with a Leeds game, there is always home Leeds fans in the the home end. But I can't believe that there's that many Leeds fans in the home end that that start either applauding or get up or respond. To, to this goal instinctively when it's you mean yeah yeah just th- there is there is this kind of first wave i think of there must be a lot like must be wimbledon fans in the in the in the stem behind the goal who initially must be like oh shit we've conceded which is the gut instinct when mm. you're a football fan but then afterwards there's this kind of second wave of but but fucking hell i mean that is that's special we've just seen something special it needed pinball sounds, didn't it, really? Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. And actually, yeah. for those who grew up playing sensible soccer, that was the sensible soccer goal. Do you remember? Did you play sensible yeah, soccer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you, yeah. You, how you controlled the ball was like how Tony Bowe did. You sort of just run <laughs> full power into yeah, it yeah. and balance yeah, and go in your sticks, direction. sticks at your foot a little bit. Yeah, but not too much. You still had to just ram yeah, it. Yeah. And you rammed it yeah. home. But the thing that really makes this goal as well for me is that it's got Barry Davis commentating on it yeah. for match of the day, and now Barry Davis is is the king for me in terms of football commentators. Just in terms of setting a moment and capturing a moment, and and just the minimalism of how he describes it's just perfect, absolutely superb for that. Brilliant stuff. Right, let's move on to your next goal then. Mm. Goal number two. So, Phil, we're travelling forward to Sunday the eighth of September, nineteen ninety six, where we find ourselves in the north of Italy. And more importantly, in the world-famous San Siro Stadium, where current Serie A champions AC Milan are playing host to Hellas Verona in the opening day fixture of the 96-97 Serie A season. Uh, Milan boasts some big names. Franco Baresi, Roberto Baggio, Edgar Davids, and of course, George Ware. So George Ware there scoring against Verona at Phil. Talk us through this goal. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's this is this is a really fair. Like a lot of people will know this goal because it's kind of George Ware's iconic goal. Mm. Really, it's the one that that gets shot. I think it, you talk about the you know, top fives. So this will be his top goal, I would think. George Ware, although he scored a lot of good goals. Um, but the thing that I love about this and the, and the thing that really kind of, it, it's actually the, the bit I love most is the fact 
it's the start of it more than it is <laughs> the end of it because he, he he gets the ball in his own box. Yeah, like, it's, but it's, deep it inside his own a, box as well. No, it starts from a Verona corner. So Verona have a corner, and this is, in a way, kind of this is a crucial aspect of the goal because Verona have a corner, so they're on the attack. So they've got a lot of players forward, and the taker of the corner he overhits it, and it goes right to the kind of far side of the box, really. And and George Ware stood on his own. There's no one within sort of ten yards of him, really, and he kind of picks up the ball and then just sets off, and he just starts he just starts running, and you. It's it's just brilliant because you at that point you've got absolutely no idea what's coming. You don't realise what you're about to see, but he picks up the ball and sets off, and and like he runs, he, he reaches halfway before a Verona player even goes anywhere near him. So he covered half the length of the pitch in no time at all because he was lightning fast way and, and good at dribbling as well. So he reaches at the, the kind of halfway line before any Verona players think, "Oh shit, Agnes, we better we better do something about this." And then suddenly, sort of two. Verona defenders converging him at halfway and just make an absolute balls up of it because I don't know whether they collide with each other or whether they, they just neither of them make a decision on who's actually going to make the decisive tackle but Weyer somehow through the kind of ineptitude of the two defenders and also his own skill almost like pirouettes through the two of them so the yeah, ball kind the of ball gets left, doesn't he, it? Yeah. yeah the ball gets left a little bit and he kind of pirouettes through the two of them and then the ball sort of is, and he controls it again and drags it back under control, and then he's he's off again. And <laughs> the, I think after that, there's another there's another Verona defender who, who sort of comes towards him to, to sort of block his run. And this is, I mean, this is it's so simple but brilliant for any goal. Is that Weyer does the old knock the ball one side and I'm going to run the other, and so the two of them then bypass this defender and basically meet up again. Either side of him, almost like he might as well have just been a traffic cone. And then by that point, because all of these Verona players are at the other end of the pitch because it's been a corner, none of them are back quick enough for him to then just have basically a, a clear run on goal. It's just the keeper to beat, and he slots it into the far corner of the goal past the keeper. Precision the, as well, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, precision. But but it's not the it's not the finish. The finish is is good, obviously, because he's he's a quality striker. The the beauty of the goal is the is the start of it really, and 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 what is the the kind of promise of what it leads to later on. Yeah, I think I think for me, it's the fact that when you watch it, you have to go back to the beginning again, and you go, oh, he's yeah. in his own box. You're like, is yeah. this the same goal? It can't be the same goal. <laughs> And then you go, oh, yeah. right, you get to go start again. Oh, it's an insane box. Uh, it's it's a rewatchable goal. You have to rewatch it because you 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 see the finish and like you said, like if a, a some really poor cut of it, you'd see that finish and you go, oh, decent finish. But then if you if you have to go back to the start of it because you have to appreciate what what it was born out of, which is a Verona corner that George Weyer essentially not by punting it clear, but just by controlling it and running controlling with it, it in six yard box. Getting yeah. to the other six yard, but we're not it's, even. It's, yeah. How many? I mean, how many goals can you say that that a solo goals can you say were were begun by a, a man singly clearing a corner on his own? <laughs> You've obviously not played Sunday league football, mate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so that was obviously Italian football. Was Italian football yeah, yeah. quite prominent uh, growing up for you? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, for for two reasons. I mean, I I I I think that. Um, what you're talking about is it because it's in a similar area as what we're talking about the with the Yeboa goal and that mm. aspect of the mystique of footballers because um, 
Serie A, it's all Premier League and the Liga now. They're they're your prominent leagues in in the world. But back then, Serie A was was where all of the top players went. It was the you know even anyone who was in English football, if you were any good, eventually one of the Italian teams would come calling for you. So like Gaza yeah. was out there, and you know Gazetta Football Italia on a Sunday morning was born out of. Gaza going out to to Lazio because they suddenly realised that oh I'm going to say there's a lot of English interest in this mm. now and like David Platt had gone out there and and what have you so yeah all all of these kind of top players that that kind of you you get a little snippet of whenever the World Cup's on or you get a little snippet of when the European Championships are on they're all in Italy all playing at the top of the the game but there's still a a huge mystique about them because you don't mm. see them very often you don't see all of these these players playing the trade on a, on a regular basis like you would do in England. And so you you can get all of these absolute world beaters that no one knew anything about. And I, I would very much class George Weyer in that bracket. You know, I didn't know much about Weyer yeah. prior to seeing this goal get scored, but I'd wake up on a Sunday morning and I'd stick Gazetta Football Italia on and you'd get that kind of the, the classic Channel 4 logo and then the ball would come sweeping in and hit it and it would turn into an Italian flag. Uh, <laughs> Just um, I met honestly Gazetta Football Italia. I loved it. It was it was it was like a gateway into a world of football I'd never experienced before, it, never seen before. Is it coming back, or did, did I make that up? Is it back? Oh, I don't know. I, I I think they have. They've done they've done stuff similar to it before. I don't know. I don't know whether it's if it is coming back. Then that's that's my Sunday mornings fix. <laughs> but no, I, I think of that it was very it was of a moment really, wasn't it? Gazetta Football Italia because I think it was it was like you say it was a gateway into a league that was the very best in the world, had all the very best players, yeah. but also content players that you just, no one knew anything about. And so you'd get this little brief snippets of exposure to, but, and also as well, like on top of you, they were all so good looking as well, all the time. <laughs> like the Serie A was like a beautiful league. Like they, they have like, um, they've got, you know, Paolo Maldini with those kind of glowing eyes and they've got Francesco Totti and Roberto Baggio and all these kind of players playing there. And we've got Ian Dowie in England. Yeah, David and, and White. It's just, yeah, exactly. And it's just, there, there, there's something so exotic about Sierra that <laughs> everything was bathed in sunlight. And, and they, I don't know whether they did this on purpose or not, whether it was just by virtue of the, the quality of the film stock at the time, but it's ever so grainy as well, just an ever so slight graininess to the film stock that they used to show the footage in. Mm. And so it looked like a it looked like another world, like a different a different universe entirely of football that you were watching. And the sounds were different as well, weren't they? the crowd sounded different. Yeah, yeah. Well that's the, the sound I was going to talk about that the sound when when Weyer scores and it, it, it's this this is a thing you know a goal when it's scored in Italy. And it's the same with this one when Weyer scores is that it's that kind of ever so slightly dull monotone roar that yeah that that kind of it's the it's almost like the cheering from a from a computer game uh <laughs> that they, they were putting about there's there's no like kind of rise or fall in it it's just one single monotone sort of sort of cheer it's oh it's brilliant absolutely brilliant. and then there's always flares going off as well and flares were and I, I know that they get associated with a certain amount of um of like like hooliganism and things mm. like that in football as well but in italy flares just felt they felt like sexy it felt quite yeah. exotic, and you know, disco, you'd see that kind of, and you'd see the mist like over the pitch as well. Everything would be ever so slightly foggy and misty. Like the whole thing just felt like a different world. There you go. Well, well, we're going to have to depart from that world now, Phil, and move on to your third goal. We're going to move forward now to the year 2010, more specifically in the month of May. Uh, Roll deep by Good Times is number one, 
and Leeds United, yes, Phil, you may have heard of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a, a very important game in order to escape League One. Let's hear the clip. Poor throw out by Anderson. First to it is Johnson. Johnson! Beckford! 2-1 Leeds! Bristol Rovers are falling apart and Leeds United through Jermaine Beckford suddenly going for Talk us through that goal, Phil. Um, yeah, well, just I, I think it probably in order because it's not it's not a goal that I would say by any metric was was a great goal. It's not it's not a good goal. It's not a pretty one. No, I must warn. It, if people are going to click the link, I must warn them now. It's not a good yeah, goal. Yeah, I mean, I, this is this is born not this is a goal not born born not out of appreciation for the aesthetics of it. This is a born. This is a goal that that I love purely for the circumstances of it for the emotion of it and for the a, a personal sort of connection that, and, that I have with it which I'll go on to and talk about but I think to, to set the kind of context for it, uh, it, it like it, it's um it, it's a game that like Leeds United I think as most people will be aware of are are a team that that like to sort of implode every now and again mm-hmm. and and this was a moment um Coming sort of maybe half a half a decade after they'd been relegated from the Premier League, um, you know, having been in the Champions League semi-finals, having been top of the Premier League for for the turn of the century, uh, and then all of a sudden the financial implosion happened and they just dropped like a stone. Like there was a there was a dead cat bounce along the way, mm. but essentially it was just a, a sort of succession of of poor decisions led to failure and relegation and then and then we ended up in League One, which not you know, kind of is the lowest point I've ever experienced as a Leeds fan. I think it's the lowest point that any Leeds fan has ever experienced really has been in the league. You know, getting beat by Hereford. We lost playoff semi finals against Millwall, which I was also at and was awful. And then the, this next season we'd finally got our act together and Simon Grayson was in charge. Uh and for most of the season, we will look like we were going to romp it. We were going to go up. And then we had a wobble just prior to the end of the season, which kind of let Millwall back in with a sniff of it. Now, we go into this. This is the final game of the season. It's Leeds against Bristol Rovers at Ellen Road. Leeds know that all they need to do is win to go up, mm. and they'll guarantee going up. Um, so you can imagine the atmosphere. You know, It's kind of a, a packed out. Uh, Ellen Road there's like 30 37 38,000 people there um, and it's this mixture of excitement that we're about to see something special and we're finally about to see Leeds start that process of getting back into where we all think they belong but also this kind of thing this awful trepidation fear. Right? yeah the fear mm. in the back of your mind of knowing that we, we've been here before and we've seen Leeds mess things up and Oh please, God! Don't let this not happen today. Thirty minutes into the game, Max Grade lose one of our best players, gets himself sent off. Then it looks like Leeds are really blown it because Bristol Rovers score, and so Leeds are one 0 down, and they're down to ten men, and all of that fear, and all of mm. that kind of trepidation, all of the worst case scenario kind of comes from the back of your mind and just sits there in the front of your mind going, see, knew this was going to happen. And, and Ellen really is just flat. He's absolutely on the floor. Now, Johnny Housen, who's, who's our one of our like kind of local lads, he came through the youth team and he comes on as a sub and scores pretty early after that on the kind of like the hour mark. So suddenly we're back in it 
and everything's looking good, and, and there's there's a chance, there's a slim, slim chance he might be able to turn it around. And then comes this moment with Beckford, um, which is the goal that ultimately wins the game and gets us promoted. There's the final whistle. Leeds United are promoted. They put their supporters through it all again today. The three-year exile in the third tier of English football is over. I, I just, I just think the, the thing, the thing about it, like you, you say that about like people who 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 say they hate football and and people who slag it off. And I, it, I think that the if if you're just talking about it from a pure sport point of view, then fine, okay, you, you can write it off. You might dislike mm. it, you might okay, and I understand because. There is so much football on television. If you're just taking it purely on face value of what it is, then fine. You, you might feel a bit aggrieved that you get this kind of thing shoved down your throat twenty four seven. I mean, I do but, still. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and, and I, you know, I, I'm really fortunate in some ways that I work in football, but it also does now and again leave you feeling a bit like, oh god, football again. But the the reality of it is, is that like f- football is just is just a vehicle for a lot of people, and it, and it's a vehicle for me because it's a vehicle that enables me to spend time with people that I cared about um, in, in a sort of shared passion. And, and I think everybody has those things in their life. Everybody's got those things that, that bring them together with people that they care about in a sort of union over something. That, that, that And football just happens to, to be that for me, my dad and my brother. You know, my dad's a Leeds fan from, from back when, when Don Revy was in charge. And so he's gone through the real glory years of Leeds. And he brought me and my brother into it and took us to Ellen Road and, and and kind of introduced us to something that we now care about a lot, and and yeah, it is a it is a tool that that has that has bonded us. Unbelievable scenes around the ground. And the the, the moment for this, like I, I just remember the at full time. This is not necessarily the goal itself, but I just remember at full time after after everything had sort of calmed down, after everyone had stopped hugging each other when the mm. final whistle blew, and you know everybody floods onto the pitch, and you get the whole pitch invasion stuff and players getting chaired around the ground and all that kind of stuff i just remember when it had all calmed down a little bit and people had started to to filter back to that i think it kind of hit a lot of people at the same time this kind of realization of what they'd experienced and the kind of emotional catharsis of going through all of this you know you kind of suddenly when it when you've stopped screaming it you, you realize that okay that 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 was something that was that was something that that all of us, you know, 37,000 people in a stadium can say we've all been there and shared together. But for me, like, I, I stood and I, we had this moment, like, me and my dad and my brother stood in the stand because we were not, at, we're not near the pitch enough to go running and charging on the pitch or anything <laughs> like that. So we just stand. Plus, we're not the kind of people who do that anyway. So, like, no. we just, the three of us stood just in silence, just looking out on the pitch. And I, I, I wouldn't have, I was never going to break, I was never going to say anything to my dad and my brother during that. And I think the two of them knew not to say anything. It was just a moment to stare out onto a like a view of a football pitch that we'd seen hundreds and hundreds of times before from the same spot, the same seats, but just see it in utter jubilation and, and utter joy and utter, utter happiness. And the three of us just stood there in silence. And then I just, I mean, I, I don't get, I certainly don't get emotional now about football. And and I, you know, back back when I was a kid, I used to get emotional about it, but it was more like kind of unchanneled teenage rage, really, not really knowing how to deal with this <laughs> kind of stuff. Kicking socks, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, exactly, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, slamming doors and being a bit of a, you know, immature about it all. But at that point, I was old enough and, and kind of wise enough about football and, and having experienced no, enough of it. I had tears in my eyes stood there with my dad and my brother. And that wasn't 
that wasn't football per se, but it was what football can give you. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't substitute that for anything. And that, I mean, you talk about going to a, a desert island with a game of, with like with a goal. If if I can take something with me that can evoke that emotion again, then that that's the thing. That's the reason why you pick these moments, and this is the reason why people love and attach themselves mm. to football. Some lovely memories for sure. So we've heard all your goals. Now, mm. um, we've got to take you to the desert island <laughs> for quarantine, of course. <laughs> yes, I feel. Um, you can choose only one goal. Which one's it going to be? Oh, Christ. Um, Ooh, now well, I mean, it's it, one of them immediately falls by the wayside. George Ware's gone. Yeah, right? George Ware's gone. Um, as much as it... I, I, in fact, the Yeboah goal I've watched more than any other Leeds United goal. I, I, it's the, it is my gut. If I need cheering up, it tends to be the, the goal that I will go to. But for all of the reasons that I've said on that, that final goal and for all the emotions that I'm talking about it evoking, I'm going to have to choose Jermaine Beckford against Bristol Rovers. Goal number three, fair enough. Um, you already get a mitre delta football and the complete works <laughs> of Harry Redknapp's autobiography. Oh, excellent. Uh, but you also get to choose one classic football shirt of any era as your luxury item. Yeah. Which one's it going to be? I am going to choose the 1993-94 Leeds United away kit. And is that the red and yellow, sorry, blue and yellow one? Blue and yellow stripes. Yeah, yeah. Blue Made by Asics. Asics, mate. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely wonderful kit. I, I had, I've got, I've got that kit, the kit in question. Oh, great. We don't um, have to give it to you then. That's, no, that's no, exactly. I've, I've already got it. And it's got McAllister 10 um, nice. ironed onto the back of it as well. It's the only shirt I've ever had where I've gone, you know, I've had the, a name and a number put on the back yeah. of it and, and went for McAllister 10. So it broke my heart when he left, like, not that long, not that long after that. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that'd be my shirt. So you're on this desert island with the elite stop. There's no one else around. Would you go full kick? Very much so. <laughs> oh, very much so. And on that bombshell, I think that's just about <laughs> it. Uh, Phil, thanks so much for joining us and uh, sharing us your desert island goals no no worries Alfie no it was and a pleasure maybe in three months time we'll all be on that desert island together <laughs> yeah 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 that'd be nice